you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. Uh, Colossians 3 is where we're going to be today. We're going to begin in verse number 1. Colossians 3 verse 1. Would you stand as we get our morning aerobics in? Up, down, up, down. Colossians 3 verse 1. The Holy Spirit says through Paul, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You may be seated. Have you ever driven in your car where you couldn't see through the windshield? I don't recommend it, especially around here. Maybe your, your windshield wipers are so worn out and you know, you went to get your oil changed and they said, hey, you want us to change them? And you said, nah, they're good. I'll do it later. I'll... And then you're in the middle of a rainstorm and you can't see anything. Or maybe, you know, there's a crack in the windshield and you haven't called Safe Light Repair, Safe Light Replace. Or maybe some of you northern folks, you remember like the frost on your car? You know, I remember like I would get up in the morning and I would say, how little do I have to defrost my windshield to drive? Because I wanted to get out. Well, I'll just tell you right now, I do not recommend driving without being able to see, without being able to see ahead. I just don't think it's a good idea. Matter of fact, I would call it insanity to drive a vehicle ahead without being able to see what's ahead. Well, I want you to understand that we are living in days of insanity. The great theological group Cypress Hill said that we are insane in the membrane and insane in the brain. We are living in days of moral insanity where evil is called good and good is called evil. As I've shared with you before, that our world is so in love with lies that truth sounds like hate. We are living in days of political insanity, amen? Where our choices for leadership are the bad, the terrible, and the ugly. We're living in days of theological insanity. A recent study done by Ligonier found that 38% of evangelicals, that's you and I, reject the deity of Christ, don't believe that Jesus is God. 46% evangelicals believe that people are good by nature, and 22% of evangelicals believe that gender identity is a matter of personal choice. When I was a younger person, I heard this, and it's true. If there is mist coming from the pulpit, there will be fog in the pews. And that's what we're living in. We're living in a day in which pastors are so enamored with being a celebrity that they won't be a preacher. That we're living in a day where people are so, churches are so wanting to attract people that they will just say, live your truth rather than live the truth. A.W. Tozer said a hundred years ago, too much of contemporary Christianity is borrowed from the philosophies of the world and even other religions. Phrases and mottos that on the surface look great are not rooted in scripture and mainly bolster one's self-image. 
Alyssa Childers, in her book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, says this. The best-selling books, podcasts, and blogs are by those who have left historical Christianity behind. They are preaching a gospel of self. To be authentic, I must belong to myself. To be happy, I must put myself first. To be fulfilled, I must be enough for myself. To be successful, I must control my own destiny. She says all these ideas are built upon the starting point of self. And if you build your life on yourself, you are a crummy foundation. See, what we need today is clarity. We need clarity in a world of insanity. Just scroll along and just hear the insanity of our world. Well, what is clarity? I'm so glad you asked. Clarity is the removal of ambiguity. Now you say, what does that word mean? Uncertainty. Clarity is the removal of uncertainty and it's the understanding of reality. Clarity comes by understanding two things, who you are and where you're going. You gotta understand both. And so as we think about our world, as we think about living as a Christian in the 21st post-Christian world, how do we do it? And it comes from clarity. Do you understand that Christian maturity moves at the speed of your gospel clarity? See, you can only grow as a Christian when you understand who you are, your identity, and you understand where you're going, your direction. Now, I want you to understand that most people don't think about this, but it's there. You may not think about it consciously, but it's there subconsciously because some of you have been coming to church year after year after year, and you're just as confused as you were the day you started. And the reason why is because there's not a lot of clarity out there. And what you've got to understand is that clarity is not everything, but it changes everything. And so Paul here is writing to a group of believers similar to us in a town called Colossae. Verses one through four of chapter three serve as a bridge between chapters one and two and chapters three and four. And Paul is writing to a group of believers who are living in a very confused culture. Colossae was a small town compared to other towns that Paul wrote to, but yet it was full of a buffet of temples and gods that would meet whatever felt need that you thought that you had. And so if you were sick, you could go to this temple and pray to this God and you would get health. If you were infertile and you wanted to have children, you could go to this goddess, go to this temple, and you could pray to get fertility. If you were wanting to be wealthy, you could go to this God at this temple and get prosperity. If you wanted protection from your enemies, you could go to this God, pray in this temple, and get protection. And so the religious custom of the people was to assemble whatever package of superstitions or rituals that you wanted to fit your needs. It was a build-a-bear theology. And so the believers in Colossae struggled, just like we struggle, to not adopt the pluralistic mentality and spiritual syncretism of their community. We are all tempted to not fall in line with our culture. You know why? Because it's easy. And it's really easy to believe the lie that our culture tells us that we need something other than Jesus. 
And so Paul here is writing to this church to tell them, if you want clarity in a world of insanity, it's only going to be found in Jesus Christ. And so today, here's the message. Believers must set their hearts and minds on Jesus to find their gospel identity and priorities that will provide clarity in days of insanity. Number one, clarity comes from being rooted and grounded in our gospel identity. Clarity comes when you know who you are in Jesus. Verse one, he says, if then. That's a first class conditional statement. I know that blessed your heart this morning. Here's what it means. Since. These are assumed realities. Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ. Paul here is bringing to them, to their mind, gospel realities. Something that God has done in the past that now has ongoing results. These gospel realities now define a new identity. Here are the gospel realities that Paul will say in these four verses. You have died. You have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ, who is your life, will appear in glory. And so today, if you are a born-again, spirit-filled, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, saved person, it is because you have a new identity in Jesus based on these gospel realities. One of the things you have to understand about Christianity as opposed to all other religions is this. In Christianity, identity comes before activity. In other words, if you are in Christ, then and only then do you have the ability to live for Christ. If you are not in Christ, you cannot live for Christ. Our cultural Christianity that often gets confused with conservatism brings a confusion to a lot of people. Here's what you'll hear in a lot of churches. God is good. You are bad. You got to be a better person. Well, the result is, is that we, we leave defeated lives because we'll never believe it because we are never, ever going to be good enough. Now, there are some people, and I know some of you, when you come in, you have a halo on your head. There's some people who come to church and they say, well, pastor, I, I'm a really good person and I live a very moral life. And a lot of people will live a moral religious life, but they do it out of fear. They're afraid of going to hell. They're afraid of what others might think about them, their parents, someone else. Or they live that moral life out of pride because they they believe that they are a good person and they want to live a life so that they feel and believe that they're better than other people. Or they live a religious moral life out of control, thinking that if they are good, then they can control God. And that's why a lot of people are coming to church and they're confused because they've gotten it backwards. See, we do not do things in order to be something. We we don't do something so that God will accept us. No, 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 no. We've got to be something so that we can do something. We've got to be in Christ before we can do something for Christ. And so what Christianity teaches is that doing flows from being. See, we have to be before we can do. And so a lot of you, you think that Christianity coming to church is conforming to a pattern of religion. That's not Christianity at all. Christianity is not conforming to a pattern of religion. It is being transformed by the power of God. And so our identity 
who we is, is found in our union with Christ. Now, if you've got a pen in your Bible, you can write in it. You're not adding to the word of God when you write in it. I want you to write this word, union with Christ. Kevin DeYoung said this, it is the most important doctrine that we have never heard of. What union with Christ is, it is the most, one of the most important doctrines, but we don't ever hear about it. Here's what it means, real simple. I'm not very smart, so I gotta keep it simple. Union with Christ means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That you live in Jesus and Jesus lives in you. So a lot of times when we think about who we are, we call, well, I'm a Christian. And there's nothing wrong with that. But do you understand that Paul not one time used the word Christian to describe believers? But 160 times used in Christ or with Christ to describe what Christianity looks like. There's a biblical scholar named Rankin Wilborn who said this. He says, union with Christ means Jesus represents you. What happened to him happened to you. When he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. When he ascended, you ascended. When he sat down in heaven, so did you. His life and yours are so entangled that what he did, you did. He did the work but you get the benefit. So let's just unpack that for a moment in these verses. Paul says four things about us. The first thing he says is that we died. Did you know you're dead? Now, what I mean by that is this. If you are a Christian, you died. The old you died. The old you that was consumed by fear, pride, and control. The old sexually perverted, self-righteous, angry, unhappy, arrogant, potty mouth who couldn't keep his mouth shut or his pants on, that one died. See, 2,000 years ago on the cross, you died with Jesus. That's a reality. Any of you ever get a call from a telemarketer? Man, it's, it's, isn't it always at the right time? And so a few years ago, back when I wasn't as sanctified, I guess, I used to have fun with telemarketers. Now, if you are a telemarketer, we love you in Jesus' name. So a few, a few years ago, a telemarketer calls and answers the phone and they say, is Alan Brum back there? And I say, no. <laughs> and they said, do you know where Alan is? And I said, yes. And they said, where? And I said, he's dead. There was a pause on the phone. The telemarketer says, oh no. I'm so sorry. What happened? I said, I killed him. <laughs> Click. You say, Alan, you're so mean. It's the truth. Alan, the old Alan is dead. I died with Jesus Christ on that old rugged cross 2,000 years ago. All of my sin, all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my sorrow were nailed to an old rugged cross. We're dead. Number two, 
we have been raised with Christ. Co-resurrected. Here in the Greek, it is a passive verb. Now, I know that blesses your heart, but here's what that means. A passive verb is an action that happened in the past with ongoing results. And so he says, since you have been raised with Christ, just as Jesus rose from the dead, defeating all of his enemies, we also were risen with him to live in victory over all of our enemies. So what that means is this, because some of y'all run around like you've been weaned on a dill pickle and you're just sour and defeated and depressing. (laughs) You don't have to live a defeated life anymore. You can live the abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Are you living the stolen life or are you living the abundant life? Because Jesus rose from the dead to give you the abundant life. You say, well, preacher, all right, I'm dead. I get that. I've been raised with Jesus. I get that, but I'm not in no glorified body. I'm balding, I'm bulging, and I'm falling apart. I don't seem like no glorified body. Well, it's because you're hidden. <laughs> you are hidden in Christ. That's what he says in the verse. That idea is that we are living in the already and not yet. We have been raised from, from the dead with Christ. We live a resurrected life. The same power that crushed the enemy is the same power that lives inside of me, but I'm in the, in the middle. I'm between the hidden and appearing. But I'm, I'm hidden about as good as you can be hidden. I'm hidden in Christ, which means I'm secure. That's why no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Jesus put it this way in John 10, 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. We are dead We've been raised with Christ. We're hidden in Christ. Notice this, Christ, verse four, is our life. Our identity is Jesus. His record is our record. Do you understand here that Jesus doesn't just give you life? He is your life. He can't just be a part of your life. He must be your life. You know, sometimes you'll see people on social media and they'll post a picture of their family. And I'm not making fun of it. I'm not criticize you, but they'll post a picture of their family, they'll post a picture of baby, they'll post a picture of this and say, this is my life. Don't make your children your life. Don't make your career your life. Don't even make your ministry your life. Christ is your life. Everything else is a part of it, but it cannot be your life because you want Jesus to be your life, because you want his record to be your record, because the Bible says in verse one that if you've been raised with Christ, where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. You know what that means? Here's what that means. We don't really understand what that means in our day and time, but when Paul was writing to folk in Colossae, they understood to be seated at the right hand means to be the seated, to be seated at the highest place of honor. And what Paul's logic is this, if you've been raised with Christ, then you're also seated with Christ. And because you're seated with Christ, God delights in you as if you have done everything that Jesus has done. 
And so when God sees you, he sees you free from anything that you have done that is wrong. Remember a guy named Rich Mullins sang a song, you middle schoolers have no idea. <laughs> High schoolers don't have any idea. Shoot, there's some old people in here don't have any idea. Rich Mullins wrote a song, Our God is an Awesome God. And so he would have jam sessions in his house in Nashville, Tennessee. And there'd be Christian artists that you would know from all over that are even still alive to this day. And he would, at the end of their jam sessions, as they were leaving and going home, he would look them and say this closing thing every night. He would say, do you understand that there's nothing you can do that would make God love you more? And there's nothing you can do that would make God love you less than he loves you already in Jesus Christ? That's good news. See, what makes you a Christian is not that you have been baptized. What makes you a Christian is not that you go to church. What makes you a Christian is not that you're a good person or that you give a lot of money to the church. What makes you a Christian is that you are in Christ. Now, we're not gonna understand that fully until we get to heaven. It takes a lifetime to begin to grasp that. But let me give you an illustration, and I, I hope I'm able to do this well. Have y'all ever been to Disney before? Now, I don't want any emails. I don't, pfft. okay, we're, we're, let's, just be a, let's just be Christians for a moment, all right? <laughs> At Disney, so when I was in Sanford, we had a lot of people in my church that worked for Disney, and, and, and we had quite a few people that were characters, and they worked for Disney. <laughs> so we had some young people that actually wore the Mickey Mouse costume. you imagine wearing a Mickey Mouse costume? I asked them, I said, what is it like in July in that costume? Does it stink? And here, here's, think about this. So you're Mickey Mouse. You come in that morning, you get there, you, you put the suit on. Think about what that would be like to put the suit on. So you put the suit on, you walk out into mag the Magic Kingdom. When you walk out with that Mickey outfit, who are you to everybody? You're Mickey Mouse. So you got these people from all over the world coming, Mickey, Mickey, oh my gosh, it's Mickey. I mean, you have, you have children laughing and old people crying and, and snot and everything. Mickey! And people are getting in line with you and they want to take a picture with you and they want to hug you and you're like, you're in the moment and so you're Mickey Mouse now. And like, it is amazing because all the love, all the attention for Mickey Mouse is now given to you. And it's only because you're in Mickey Mouse. That's what it means to be in Christ. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, you put Jesus on. And now when the Father sees you, all the love, all the affirmation, all the attention that goes to Jesus goes to you, even though you don't deserve it. Wow. That's good news, right? If you are a Christian, that's who you is. Clarity comes when you know who you are and your gospel identity. Second point, clarity comes by seeking and setting your heart on gospel priorities. It comes when you know where you're going. Verse one, he says, if then, since you've been raised with Christ, since these realities are true, Two commands. Number one, seek the things that are above. Second command, set your minds on things of above. Now, he's not saying to be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. 
He's saying that in light of who you are, this is how you live, that you do this because something that has been done for you. Seek your mind on the things that are above. Now, I'm not saying like look up the entire time. No, that would cause problems. But it means that you must constantly, intentionally, daily seek after and think about these realities I just told you about. Not on the things of this earth. That is, don't put your mind and your heart in this earth, in this world only. Don't look to this world to give you meaning and happiness and satisfaction because Mick Jagger has been looking for years and he can't get, can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> Seek after these realities. Set your mind. Put your mind on this so much that it captures your heart. Now, I'm not telling you that the earth is irrelevant, that we shouldn't think about things that happen. You, you, you gotta work, you gotta raise your family, you, you need to vote in elections, and you need to do certain things. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, what I'm telling you is it's not ultimate. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, aim at the earth and you'll get neither. So what does it mean to set your heart and set your affections on God. Well, it's the old Puritan word vivification. Now, you've probably never said that word in your life. Vivification. Vivification means that you have activities and environments that help you set your mind and stir your affections for Jesus. Now, you're hearing me say that word affections, and you're like, well, what does that mean? And so affections are a feeling of liking, caring, fondness, loving. Affections are what you felt when you were dating your future spouse before you were married. That loving feeling. Affections are what you feel when you look at your children while they're sleeping. <laughs> Affections are what you feel when your favorite ice cream and cake is in front of you. It is a goose bump moment. See, we've lost that loving feeling. Oh, that loving feeling. We've got to bring back that loving feeling before it's gone, gone, gone. Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so how do we bring back that loving feeling? I'm glad you asked. Here's what. The key to living out our gospel identity in Christ is seeking after and setting our affections on Jesus. Now, let me just say this. A lot of you have been taught this. If I stop doing bad stuff, then I'll be able to love Jesus more. And so a lot of people come to church. Here's what I have people say. Pastor, I want to get saved. I want to get baptized, but I got to clean some stuff up first. I'm like, you're going to be cleaning all your life. Right? It's the other way around. It's not I gotta stop doing bad stuff so I can love Jesus more, but here's what you gotta say. When you love Jesus more, you'll stop doing bad stuff. Now, how do I love Jesus more? Well, there are these things called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines can be boiled down to three things. Bible time, God time, people time. It's not original. Heard it from somebody else, but I can't remember who. Bible time, you encounter God in his word. 
It's Bible time. Be in the Word. Crack open the Bible. God time. You encounter God by prayer, by praise and worship. Can't just be on Sundays. If all your worship is happening for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, you're not worshiping God throughout the week, and therefore that's why you sit and look like this on Sunday morning. You experience God's presence when you serve others and you're in a community of other believers where they're talking about God and pointing each other to God. See, what's missing in a lot of believers' lives is intimacy with God. It's all churchianity. It's not intimacy. My wife and I have been married for over 15 years. And one of the things that I learned early in our marriage was this. One person, a pastor told me this. He says, a secret to a good, intimate relationship is to dialogue daily, date weekly, depart quarterly, and deport your kids annually. (laughs) We're still working on the deportation part. So one of the things that we do is we dialogue daily. And often that manifests itself in a walk. So every evening, we go out and we walk in our neighborhood. Now, we do it without our children. Every now and again, we'll invite them. But most of the time, they don't wanna be with us anyway at that time. <laughs> and so when April and I walk around our neighborhood, we walk and we talk. We, we put our phones at home. And we have great conversations. What happens is we hear from each other. We hear what's happened that day and what are we looking forward to in the future and here's what interactions that we had. And, and what this is, is this is a daily opportunity to put both her and I in an environment away from distraction to stir up affections and love for each other because, listen men, when you have undistracted conversations with someone you love, your body produces a hormone called oxytocin. It is also known as the love hormones. Those are good things, guys. Amen? And so what happens is is that when you have this undistracted conversation and dialogues, it stirs up those loving feelings. But when April and I don't have a few days where we can do that, and I'm busy and she's busy and this is happening and that's happening, it really causes issues between us. What I found in my marriage is that there's simply nothing that a walk can't cure. (laughs) What's distracting you from Jesus? You know, we live in an ADHD world, and if you didn't have it when you were born, you got it now. (laughs) Politics, finance, Netflix, sports, family, social media. John Mark Comer writes in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, He says, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we need the most. We're so consumed with lesser things. We fill our minds and our hearts with stuff that doesn't satisfy us. You ever been to Texas Day, Brazil? I take it none of you have. (laughs) You ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? All right, now you know what I'm talking about. So a few months ago, uh, April and I saved up for five years and we were able to take our kids (laughs) to Texas Day, Brazil. 
And we get there and I've told my kids, listen, because I brought three starving kids. I starved them all day to bring them there, okay? And so I brought them in there and I told them, listen, this is an expensive meal, but this is some of the best meat and you're gonna have fun and they're just gonna keep bringing you meat and you're gonna have a meat coma. You're gonna get the meat sweats. Man, it's not a great place to take your wife on a date. <laughs> just tell you straight up, because afterwards there's just, you know, meat sweats and all that good stuff. It's just not good, all right? I'm just telling you straight up. That's probably too much information, all right? Too much information. <laughs> so with that being said, we take the kids to Texas A, Brazil. Well, of course, they come there and they go over the green light and the red light and the yellow light and the whatever light. And then they bring us bread. Well, again, I brought three starving children with me. And so guess what the three starving children do? They pick out on the bread. And I look at them and I said, get that out of your mouth. <laughs> do not fill your tummies up with that cheap bread. Bacon-wrapped filet mignon is coming. <laughs> and we got to get our money's worth. <laughs> Don't settle for the filler when you can have the filet. Now, for some of you vegans here... Don't settle for the gluten-free bread because the kale salad is coming, okay? <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. It was a joke. Here's what I'm saying, is that we are so enamored with filling ourselves up with junk when we're missing out on Jesus. And here's what I found. You fill up with bread, it doesn't fill you like a steak does. See, the only way we'll set our minds on Christ is we have to see that nothing and no one is better. Jesus is greater than anything this world has to offer. The Puritan John Owen said this. He said, oh, to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live. Herein would I die. Hereon would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections until all things here below become as dead and deformed things and in no longer any way calling out for my affections. We're going to do a little test here. Just in your mind, what is the one thing that's keeping you from Jesus? What is the one thing is it sex? Is it pornography? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it power? Is it control? What's keeping you? Is it a sports team? Is it your kid's athletic prowess? What is, is it your family? What in your mind do you believe is better than Jesus? And then I want you to hear these words. And we're not gonna dim the lights here, but I just want you to hear these words and close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes. I want you to hear these words. Hear these words. Paul's going to describe Jesus in chapter one, and here's what he says about Jesus. Now, I want you to think about the thing that's distracting you from Jesus, and I want you to hear who Jesus is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Open your eyes. Is whatever distracting you from Jesus truly better than Jesus? Does the, does the thing that you are living for, does it show you who God is? Did it create you? Does it hold the world together? I'll tell you right now, Kentucky basketball doesn't hold anything together. And neither does a football team. Is what you are living for, is it above all things and before all things? And here's the bigger question. Is the thing you're living for, did it die for you on a cross to get you out of hell? See, Jesus is better than anything. And he's better than anyone. And because of that, he has to be in the position of first. First in my family, first in my life, first in my priorities, first in my obedience, first in my money, first in my time. Why? Because Jesus is not just something you put on a list of priorities. He's the page on which all other priorities are written because he's in a class all by himself because there ain't no savior like the one we got. Deion Sanders said this. He said, I tried everything. Parties, women, buying expensive jewelry, nothing helped. There was no peace, just emptiness inside. But when I found Christ, I found what I had been missing all those years. Clarity comes when you know who you are. That's your identity. And you know what you're supposed to be doing and where you're going. That's your priorities. But here's verse four. We're going to end. He says that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. That to Paul, as certain as Jesus' death and resurrection were, is as certain as his second coming and return in power and glory. Now, I've had people ask me, Pastor, why aren't you talking about the second coming? Why aren't you talking about what's going on in other places? I am, and here's where I'm saying it. Jesus is going to return. Okay? Charts and timelines, we don't know. If you know, don't tell anybody, because Jesus said nobody knows. And you could be the Antichrist. I don't know. <laughs> One day, think about this. Stay with me. One day, the Savior we have loved and set our hearts on will appear. And when he returns, everything that we have believed in and everything we've list, we have risked our life for will become full reality. And when that day comes, 
What kind of person do you want to be? See, here's for you today. You got a choice to make. Will you live your life as if Jesus is king and heaven is real? Or will you live your life as if everything in this world is all there is? Will you live your life as if Jesus is king and heaven is real? Or will you live your life as all there is in this world is all you see? Have you ever stayed in a Holiday Inn? Suppose if you stay at a Holiday Inn Express, it changes your life. <laughs> I want you to imagine you stayed at a Holiday Inn. You come to the room, you look at it, and you say, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm from Naples. I think I'm gonna redo this whole room. I wanna put some granite countertops there and put a new flat screen TV there and I want a hot tub with a sauna and then a cold tub next to it. And then I'm gonna put a full-size fridge in it. I'm gonna stock it with all kinds of stuff. And then I'm gonna put a new Comfortpedic bed in there. And so you spend the entire night fixing and putting and buying and doing all this stuff. And it's 11 o'clock, it's time to check out. Uh, the, the cleaning person comes and they see you in there doing that. They go get the manager. The manager comes to see you and he looks at you and says, listen, I appreciate all the upgrades that you're doing. I appreciate all the hard work. But what are you doing? This is not your home. Why are you investing so much in a place where you're only staying for a short time? See, for us to invest so much in a place we stay for just a short time is insanity. And that's why the world's insane. Because they don't know that there's coming a day where everyone is going to check out. And when you check out, the only thing that will matter is your identity in Jesus and your priorities for his kingdom. See, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I don't know about you, but we need to get right with God, don't we? I don't want when he returns that my head is down on this earth when it's not looking forward for the kingdom that's coming. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work that only your Holy Spirit can do. And that's call people to yourself. God, there's people in this room that are confused by religion. And they think that they gotta be good in order to, in order to, to be accepted. But God, they don't have to do those things to be accepted. They just have to trust you. And when you save them, they are the person you want them to be. So Father, help us. Forgive us. We've made this earth the most important thing. And we've set our minds on things below rather than setting our minds on these spiritual realities above. 
God, give us clarity in these days of insanity to live for your glory until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand? I want you to hear this song. Pastor Thomas is gonna lead us. Just hear this song, and as the Spirit speaks to you, I want you to worship him. Just worship him. Let the inhibitions come down. Just worship him. Raise your hands and worship. Speak to God. If you gotta get on your knees, get on your knees, pray. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads, just do it.